Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. Since I've started my podcast, I've been blessed with remarkable guests. And today I'm so honored to be in the virtual presence as we are conducting this interview over Zoom of Her Highness Sheikha Intisa Al Sabah. Sheikha Intisa is a princess from Kuwait's royal family. She is the founder and editorial director of Lulua Publishing and the founder of Al Nawaya, which is a non for profit positivity initiative. Following one of her passions, Sheikha has also founded Intersars, which is a jewelry design company where each piece is made by hand, making it truly unique. Her Highness Intersar is an author, columnist, entrepreneur, but most of all, she is a philanthropist. She has established the Intersar Foundation to support women who struggle in war situations. Being highly influential in Kuwaiti society, Sheikha Intisar is wholly dedicated to the issues of education, health, child protection, human rights and women rights. She has been involved with spreading awareness and raising funds for the victims of the Syrian war. She is also an active member of the Human Rights Watch Kuwait chapter, an organization that promotes justice and human rights across the globe. Additionally, she has organized with the International Committee of the Red Cross many initiatives, such as a roundtable discussion that sheds light on the plight of Arab women in war. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Her Highness Intessa to the Beehive Household podcast. So can we please start this interview with um, setting the scene of your palace life and how does the interior of where you live reflect your personality? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd love to say I live in a palace. Uh, actually, I don't love to say I live in a palace. <laughs> Why? I live in a palace, but I don't. <laughs> yes. For your sake, I would love to say I, I live in a palace. But for my sake, I'm saying, thank God I don't live in a palace. Uh, See, where I am now is my father's old palace. And that was... Um, converted to offices after the liberation uh, of the invasion of Iraq because we used to live here. And um, during the invasion, the Iraqi headquarters were here and they used to torture people in the basement. So we never came back. And after four to five years of it being abandoned, we actually turned it into family offices. I do work here in a palace. It is gorgeous. I have beautiful decorations, beautiful high ceilings, um, big spaces, but I don't live here, thank God. I lived here for a long time and I, and even though it's, it's fun saying you live in a palace, it's not nice to live in a palace. And the reason I say that is for years I wanted to build a big house and it never happened. And then I moved into um, a temporary house um, that was actually more of a farm than a house. 
And it was, it, I mean, I'm not saying my house is small where I live, not at all. Uh, it, it's by um, Western standards, it's big. By Kuwait standards, it's um, very humble in size. And uh, I love it because I get to see and hear my daughters and, you know, and, and be around my family. And it's small enough to manage without having a whole team of staff. Right. Uh, and um, I mean, I have, my room is big. I have, you know, my, I have a walk-in closet. I have uh, a nice, big, spacious uh, toilet or bathroom, but it's not a palace. It's actually small by Kuwaiti by standards. By Kuwaiti standards, yeah. <laughs> but, but it is... Um, plenty and so now I'm building a new house and it's my first house to build and I went from I think four or five plans of really big houses that's what I thought you, you everyone needed and so throughout the years I've done plans for houses and they've always been really big right and now that I really am going to build a house it is Again, it's not small. I cannot live in a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment. That's not me. I would suffocate. But uh, it is... It's, I'll tell you one thing. It's smaller than all my sister's houses. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that it changed... And my brothers too. And your brothers. So yeah. are, are you the most... I've got the smallest house. And I'm proud of it because I don't want to live in a big house. I've realized there's, there's no intimacy in a palace. You're not close to people. There's so much space between bedrooms, so much space between people that it becomes quite um, cold for me. That's why I said I'd love to say I live in a palace and I'm proud to say I don't. Wow. I love it. I, I love that. So it's, it's not that you are the most humble in the family, it's actually no. you like you like the the warm. It's nothing to do with humbleness. You see, it's everything to do with connection. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean the, the, the you know the villa I'm I'm um, building is not a humble abode by far. It's actually right. very, very luxurious. Very, I mean, it's on the sea. Um, the land is is very, very you know it's a big size. The house is going to be uh, not a small house, but. I only have like, okay, by, by Middle East and Kuwaiti standards, we don't have one sitting room. You have a family room and you have guests' quarters and they're always big. And eh, I have just one sitting room. Mm. And then I have small areas where two or three people can sit. Like right. one is a pool room, one is on the, sea, on the roof. So a rooftop sitting area. I don't have big reception rooms I don't want reception rooms yeah I don't intend to invite hundreds of people every day yeah and you know I, I like having uh, receptions at my house but in reality never more than 50 in ever. <laughs> that's still a lot <laughs> I know but, but I'm not talking uh, European standards or Western standards I'm talking Arab listen if I only invite my sisters and, and brothers and their 
and their uh, you know their their uh, their husbands or wives and their children that's more than 50 right we are yeah. extended families to say 50 50 is not a big number because we are extended families so uh, that's one thing that westerners don't understand i know and i invite my cousins three or four cousins removed but that's normal yeah yeah and that's the beauty uh, where, where in the west you know you don't even know your second sometimes cousin no no i know the, i know many of them and so when we have um uh, like uh, even a small wedding just inviting my siblings and their families that's more than 56 people yeah yeah no i so, understand it's not a small number when you're in kuwait not at all i mean our cousins are many our yeah. brothers I mean, their children. I mean, my my nieces and nephews have children. The other day, I, they came over. Um, my nieces with their children. We, we do a, an annual event of picking potatoes with their children. Right. And there were easily 12 children and their mothers and their nannies. So again, what are we talking? That's 15, 16 people. And that's, you know, it's not even planned for. It's like, okay, do you want to come? Yes, we're coming. <laughs> I love that. See, we, we've been missing that, particularly now in the pandemic here in the lockdown in the UK. It all sounds like a different world. And it's so nice to hear because I personally feed off that energy of bars of people around. And I love when uh, people have big extended families, they do keep in touch. They all have relationships, whether they close or good or challenging ones but they have a relationship and that's the beauty of it and, and it's I completely understand when you're saying that um, whilst you like that closeness and intimacy um, for your home and by Kuwaiti standards but at the same time there's a, a lot of people that you have those relationships with to cater for to host for and um, for your um, for your house who are you Um, sharing with who? Who is your immediate family that you live with, or is I it live, just for yourself? I live with my four daughters. Again, I was talking to a friend of mine who's Italian, and she lived in uh, Northern Europe, and uh, she was saying, you know, like in in Kuwait, it's normal to live with your family. Mm. It doesn't matter the age. And she said, they make fun of us because we stay with our parents. And she said, yeah, you're living with your family. And she says, I don't know why they think it's something to be ashamed of. She said, I'm lucky to be living with my mother. Yes. It's not something to be ashamed of. And I'm lucky that my daughters are living with me. It's, it's the most amazing thing in life. They have their own life, yes, but we do get together when, you know, on the weekends or when we can. And it's a form of being very, see, it's not selfless, it's not selfish, but it's about putting boundaries, but at the same time merging and having relationships. Because if you're living alone and you're seeing your family once a month, then, you know, there's no contact. And there's, in a way... Uh, subconsciously it is being selfish because you're living for yourself but you're also being selfish because you're not allowing your family to give you love or yourself to give them love because you keep your distance because you want to have your freedom you want to have your life and who says you can't have both 
Yeah. It's just you don't need to have 100% of both. Why can't you have 60% of both? And still works. You can have your freedom, you can have your life, but you can all also be very engaged with your family. I, I, I love it. It's, it's almost um, that, that energy that you resonate with your words and you, you write and, and beautifully said how it's almost selfish to be um, to have to separate. And I'm, um, I, I came to, to London, my, my family, my, my parents um, live in Moscow. And during the pandemic, I'm not seeing them for over a year. And wow. uh, with, um, I've got two little daughters um, of my own, three and five. And that's what we, exactly what we're talking about. I'm saying, you girls do not think about leaving mummy ever, <laughs> not moving to any other country. And this is, you're going to be my role model. Um, I'm going to make them, they, they, they little, they three and five, but I'm going to be replaying this episode for them and uh, oh. for them to live with their mummy <laughs> always. And, until they find a partner and move out. But that's, you know, but again, everyone has a choice, but to, to shame someone because of their choice is unacceptable, no matter what their choice is. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's, what, what, that's the unacceptable part, not the fact that I choose to, I, or I choose not to live with my parents, but to be ridiculed because I choose something because they don't think it's right. This is not the way, you know, life is. And if you look at everywhere other than the West, everyone has extended families. Yeah. And the most affected from the pandemic are the West because they're not seeing anyone. Mm. Literally not seeing anyone. And there's this deprivation of, of, of contact with people. Absolutely. Absolutely, and yes. I, I, have, I have friends who are not close to their families and I have friends who are close to their families. And I can see the ones who are close to their families they're tolerating, and I say tolerating, uh, this pandemic much, much better because they have someone, especially when they live close to their family. I mean, they can visit, they can see other, you know, the ones who don't, they can't, they can't see their friends, they can't see anyone. So they're stuck at home, the man and his, and his partner or the female and her partner and feeling quite isolated and, and quite dismal. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's it's the uh, a huge mental health issue that we're dealing having, with. Yeah, I think extended family helps relieve that mental health issues because you know you have someone who takes care of you, who someone who's there when you need some something, and if you don't, you are sort of depending on yourself and on the generosity of your friends who also have something else to deal with. So, yeah, yeah having family is, is, is a life, is a very beautiful life support system. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the life support and the life force and uh, um, I have my extended family living in Ukraine that I don't see much of. And I, I, I wish I was in the same position to have the family extended family around building the not just relationship but a joint story that's exactly. what's lacking when you are separated you just exchange information you just tell them what you've done today or during the week and there is just exchange of information there's no joint um, story that you're building perhaps to tell others you know someone said something very interesting and, and I always think of it whenever I think of extended families. 
So in the past, we used to live in one house, one extended, uh, many extended families in one house, let's say the grandfather, the grandmother, their, uh, their children, their children, and the, and, and the wives and the children. So it's like a house who maybe um, a six or a seven bedroom, let's say a 10 bedroom house with 50 people. Mm-hmm. And the children used to sleep in, I mean, I grew up in a big palace with lots and lots and lots of rooms, yet all the girls were in one bedroom, all the boys were in one bedroom, my mother and father were in another bedroom with a changing room, and all the other rooms were empty. How interesting. And it was so much fun being with siblings. Yes, we fight. Oh my God, we fight all the time. But there's always someone there for you. Mm. And, um, it, and, it, and it was this very interesting feeling that I used to have. Anyway, so my friend said something about life and judgment. And he said, when people used to live in one house, they cannot have a lot of judgment because everyone's so different and they have to interact and they have to coexist. And to coexist, you have to accept of everyone's personality, everyone's eccentricity, everyone's likes and, and dislikes. But also they have to tone down on their likes and dislikes to be, to be able to live with everyone. And he said, the reason we judge now is we are not close to people. We don't live in the same space. And so what happens is you're judging because you're not uh, having to coexist. That's right. And he says, the more people are close to each other, the less judgmental they become. And I thought, very wise words. I never thought of it this way, but it's so true. Yeah, that's right. It's always easier to pass on your judgment from your own standpoints, from your life experiences, from your upbringing, from your cultural differences. And ultimately, what we see in any person is the tip of the iceberg. And what's underneath the the surface of the water is much bigger, you know, 90% of what we see on the surface. And uh, yeah, this is a a big call to being more kind and acceptive. If you want to be kind and accept people, have roommates. That's right. Live with them. Have roommates. Don't, don't live alone. There is comfort in living alone. I have to admit, I love having my bed to myself. I love having my bathroom to myself. I, I mean, I, I, we are selfish in that, and, and yeah, that's fine. But yeah. if you really find you're judging all the time, go live with someone. Make yourself live with someone. Accept them. Once you accept them, the judgment falls. Beautiful call for action. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And coming back to a little bit on to your interiors, do you have any unique, meaningful pieces of home decor that you really cherish? Something that is really maybe you or has got some significant history for yourself. Is there anything you can share with the listeners? Oh, for sure. Uh, everything in my house has a, has a memory and history. So I know every piece in my house, every single piece. And I actually have a YouTube channel that's going to come out very soon. And in one of the episodes, I said about if you want to be positive, surround yourself with positive things, positive memories, positive experiences. And one of them is by having only things that bring on good memories around you. So 
all the artwork, I know who's done them. Sometimes I don't remember the name because it's like I have a Korean uh, piece. I don't remember the name, but I love the piece and it brings me joy. And the same with everything from the sofa to the chairs, to the artwork, to F tables, everything in my house. I can tell you where I bought it from and tell you the story of it. And I can't think of anything more pleasant in my life than to be surrounded by things that bring good memories. And mind you, I used to collect artwork right. and I stopped a few years ago because I thought the worst thing one can do is be a collector because you're putting them in a safe storage and you're not enjoying them. And what happens is, you know, it's an energy that's depleting me. And so I sold or gave away most of what I have and I kept only the things that I absolutely love. So if any artwork that doesn't bring me pleasure, I gave away or sold. And I don't right. regret that one iota because everything around my house now makes me smile. And isn't that the way one should live? Why, why put something because they're a very, very famous artist where they have a, like, seriously, why put, and I used to buy them. See, I can say this because I used to buy them. So why put artwork with disfigured people, with, um, uh, what is it? Um, you know, with, with, with faces that look a bit scary or faces that are, um, I don't know, mutated. Bring, bring negativity in you and the negative, negative feelings. It's not even negativity. You know, when you look at the dismembered body on a canvas, exactly, look at your face. As I'm saying it, your face is changing. Yes, yeah. we buy that and we call it artwork because some... Someone in the art world has said, this guy is going to be very famous. So we buy them and hoard them. And whenever we put them up, we don't, we, we, we're not engaged as a feeling with these artwork as much as we're thinking of the money value. And so we're disconnected from the feelings this artwork brings. Absolutely. What Whereas feelings? if you have something that makes you feel good. See, forget the makes you feel rich. Have things that make you feel good because this is abundance. Having an abundance of joy or abundance of good feelings around the house is what we all need. Having an abundance of you know, like pound sign artwork that don't give us good feeling is not abundance. And so I realized that a long time ago. And so I only surround myself with things that bring me joy. Absolutely love it. Um, in, in, in your feelings and connection with your art, what, what do you, what, what colors, are there favorite colors, ever, favorite themes that you after? What would bring instantly, as I'm asking this question a little bit on the spot, um, is there any particular artwork that comes to mind that completely resonates with you? From my artwork? Any, anything, your artwork, yeah, what you have or anything yeah, you really I, admire? 
I'm not at home now, so I can't show them to you. But I have um, artwork I've commissioned of Kuwaiti currency. And the reason I commissioned these two banknotes was one has on the back boys playing an old game and the other one has girls playing an old game. So um, I didn't put the front of the currency I, and I didn't even put, the, you know, with, I didn't even put the biggest currency. These are actually the smallest denominations. Yeah. But I love what is on the back of them. I love that it's got little girls and little boys playing. Yeah. And so these are one of the things that whenever I see, I smile. Again, I put things that make me smile when I look at them. You know, boys and girls playing makes you smile. Imagine if I had boys and girls with daggers, you know, trying to kill each other under the, you know, under, under, under the title of great art. That's not going to make you smile. I completely resonate with it. Yep. Beautiful. And I love the way you answered the question. It's um, some, sometimes when you interview people, you almost can predict the answer. With you, I can't. It's always very oh. unique. It's beautiful. It's just oh, you, you, you bring such a, such a richness to and a different perspective. And I absolutely love it. One of the things I've realized I do is I philosophize things. So I'm always sort of, everything is, is, has a reason for being. And everything has a reason for being in my life and, and, and for me working with it and the reason is not and the reason is more emotional what I've realized is I'm, I'm I've become quite an emotional person emotional not as an emotional oh my god no I have tantrums no yeah. emotional motives so I have emotions I have feelings and I go with them and I think this has been the biggest transformation in my life is I don't logicize logicalize things yeah. I go with how I feel. You and you can't go wrong with your feeling. You can go very wrong when you're analyzing. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, you spent most of your um, first, first the, the first part of your childhood living with your grandmother. Mm-hmm. And she was your great influence. Would you be able to share in what way her upbringing shaped you? Okay, so my grandmother was, oh my God, she had no fear. She wasn't scared of men. She wasn't scared of anyone. And she would, you know, uh, she was very courageous. And so I, from her, I learned that, yeah, people get scared of you if you have the right attitude, no matter what you are. Even when she was old, she used to scare people. And I didn't mean, I don't mean she was mean as much as, you know, we live in a more of a, a patriarchal society. Mm. Uh, so being an older female that um, she didn't, she wasn't, I mean, she, she, she was well off, but she didn't have the power. You know, sometimes when you're so wealthy, there is power. Yeah. When you're married to someone very high, you have power, all of that. But she was widowed. She was rich, but she wasn't powerfully rich. Uh, she, I mean, her brother wasn't the ruler, her father wasn't the ruler. So it's not immediately that she gets the power from uh, the ruler, yet she was powerful. She didn't care. She'd say it as it is, and I love that. And um, that's what I learned from her, is to be, to be courageous or brave you don't need a lot of assets. You need a belief that you'll be okay. 
And she always knew she'll be okay. So that's one of the, the biggest things I learned from her. Also, she was very um, open to a lot of um, um, cultures. Mm-hmm. So she had friends from different nationalities and being open to that culture, having, uh, she was very disciplined, very, we had to finish everything on our plate. Right. And I go to my mother and it's not very important. And then with my grandmother, I had to be, you know, I had to, uh, you know, in, in front of people behave. Going to my mother, you don't need to do that. So I had a very interesting childhood of extremes where my mother was like, oh, you can do anything you want. You, you know, you'd be fine. And that's a, that's a form of safety. And my grandmother, no, no, there's discipline, there's control. But there's also a form of safety. So it's very interesting, this little child who had no idea what to do. And then I learned, yeah, I learned, like I go very, uh, you know, I go very wild with my mother and more disciplined with my grandmother. But I also learned from my mother, my grandmother to be fearless. And my mother had lots of fears. So it's very interesting childhood I grew up in. Very interesting. How how did it reflect on your role as a as a mother? Did you take both sides? Were you more yeah. like your grand both? Okay, how interesting. My, 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 my sign is Virgo, and my ascendant is Pisces, which okay. are the complete opposite on yeah on the sign. So Pisces are carefree, creative. They they go with the flow. They're water. Um, They're, they can be wild. Um, what else is Pisces? Um, they love fun and they love joy. And then you go to Virgo. I'm talking about the extremes, right? Okay. Yeah. So Virgo, very disciplined, a perfectionist, um, uh, hardworking, and Pisces are not. <laughs> um, they're earth, so they're more structured. Um judgmental where Pisces are not. So I used to vacillate between the extreme of this and the extreme of this in my life. And then I learned to sort of be in the middle and this is where I am now. And it's a beautiful place to be. So my life between my mother and my grandmother was almost like my astrological sign to extreme. <laughs> you love it. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's amazing how you managed to balance it out in you. I learned and I didn't manage. I learned. I learned because for a long time I was either here or here. And I didn't like being either here or either here because if there's a pull from the other uh, side and now I can be very creative, fun, um, you know, flowy like water, but have the discipline, have the structure as a Virgo. And also Virgos are, you know, they love to do good. So yeah. it's that. I am now I'm a balance between both right this is this is so exciting it's just uh, how, how you put it together and how you bring it and how um yeah how astrologically life brought it on you into your real experience as well and um you mentioned in the beginnings a little bit about the challenging times of when um Kuwait Kuwait um Iraq crisis struck and Iraq under the order of 
Saddam Hussein invaded back in the 1990s, it was. And um, so, and I mentioned you, you were the Banyan Palace. So you were in the, the Banyan Palace. Palace, you were only 26 years old and uh, already had your two daughters um, and that palace came under fire. So from that challenging moment, what was your life in that period of time was like behind closed doors? What were your feelings? What were your home like in, okay. at that time? Let me just amend something you said. I, we were not in Bayan Palace. We were okay. living. We were staying in a house just opposite Bayan Palace and that, that they were bombing Bayan Palace. So uh, I just wanted to correct that. Yeah. Thank God Bayan Palace would have been bombed. No, we were living just opposite. And so the earth would shake and you'd hear it, but if they weren't bombing us, they were bombing uh, just across the road. It was a very interesting time because I had two little girls and I didn't want them to be afraid. So uh, we used to play games and, you know, when the bombs would be striking, we would call them fireworks and, you know, trivialize them because I didn't want, they were three and four. I didn't want them to be traumatized for life. And I'm so proud to say that they don't even remember the war much. They didn't, not, not that they don't remember the war much. They don't remember being scared. So uh, my daughter said to me, when their friends are talking about their memories of the invasion, she said, I was, Mama, thank you so much. I remember having a nice time during the invasion. I don't remember being scared. So for me to be able to, to make them have a good time means I suppressed a lot of memories. I faked a lot of what was going on. And so that took its toll on me because I was disconnected from my emotions. I was disconnected from, or I chose to disregard all my fears, all my anxiety, everything, and to put on a face of, oh, let's have fun. These are fireworks. Let's laugh. Let's dance. Let's, let's have a merry, uh, merry time. And that affected me later on in life when I realized this is not the personality I was. I was more violent. I was more... Um, I didn't numb. I was very numb for many years. So I was numb to joy, but I was also numb to pain. It was very interesting because things that are painful, I didn't, I hardly felt. Oh my gosh. And so it was very interesting. And then I, I, I worked on myself and thank God now I have feelings. Sometimes I don't like them, but I do have feelings. Oh, how, so what helped you, um, what helped you to, you see, so you've mentioned that you worked on yourself. What helped you to get, get the, uh, you know, the emotions out of you and to work on that trauma when, yeah, when you were just dismissing the fear, the um, fear for your own perhaps life or your daughter's life or your close family. And it's a, a you know, um, you wouldn't wish it upon anyone to be part of that situation, how traumatic it, it, it was. And how, what helped you to get through it um, and, and go? There's different, it wasn't one thing. It's, you know, it's like life. Let's say you want to start cooking. You might just do tea and then you'll do a, a, a fried egg and then maybe, or a boiled egg and then a fried egg. And then you start working on uh, eggs benedict. And then you start doing um, different kinds of, of, of um, 
more complex um, recipes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. I started with just one thing and that led to another. That led. I think I just needed the courage to go higher on the, on the scale of... Uh, um, tools that will, will support in my change. Um, but I, I don't remember what the first one was, but I'll tell you one of the most transformational ones. And because of that, I was able to go higher and higher and, and connect more to my, uh, my inner true self and, and, and grow that in a way. One of the transformational uh, things I did was a one-week, 10-day workshop with uh, Byron Katie in Germany. Oh, wow. And so it was, I think, eight days, eight to 10 days. I, I can't remember how many days. And that was many, many years ago. That was a good, more than 10 years easily. And uh, it was very interesting because we did um, everything from unraveling our thoughts. And it was an intensive. So seven o'clock at night till 10 o'clock in the evening. And we're working on, on unraveling our thoughts, unraveling our emotions. So to Layer by Look, layer. Yeah, at looking at the smallest thought we had and the effect on, of that thought on our lives. And so we were about 300 people. And it was transformational because I got to, and you're all, every day you're working with many hours with different people just talking about your life, talking about your emotions, talking about your past, your experiences. So sharing, and, and so you become better at sharing. Right. And the more you share, the more you let go of the shame of your story or of that situation or anything. And, and the more you see it from a different angle, and the more you see it, how it connects to different events in your life. Yeah. So it's the same feeling with bring different events. It's not the same scenario. It's the same feeling let's say shame shame can come in different 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 events different scenarios it's not one but the title can be shame and then how we interpret these shameful uh, feelings and how we suppress them how we we um try to dismiss them and and then what happens and it was it was very very interesting very interesting i think that's the biggest um shift I had. I mean, I had done lots of other therapies uh, from breathing to meditation to crystal therapy to, um, to what else have I done? Uh, to lots of workshops. But I think the transformational or, or, the, or the one that broke the resistance that I had was Byron Katie's The Work Workshop. I love it. And, and, you know, I do transformational breathing now. I still do a lot of um, inquir- inquir- inquiry into my thoughts. Let's say someone did something. I hate, I hate this person because they were mean to me. So I look at, I, I unravel that thought. And it's like, ooh, I am mean to them. How? I think they're mean. They might just be ignorant. Why do I think they're mean? So it's un- looking at how my my thoughts affect my vision of life. And right. so all you have to do 
is, is to change the way you think of things and the whole life changes. So it's very interesting, I think, yeah, and I'm forever grateful for that. If only everyone or more people did that, I think the world could have been a much better place. Or if we only did that, yeah. our world would be a much better place because my job is not to change people. My job is to change myself, to accept people as they are. And then no matter what they do, it, it, it's got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. But it's got everything to do with me. It's got everything to do with my thoughts. Yeah. If you, if you want to start the change, start it with yourself. Isn't it? That's what she always said. It's not about people. She, she has a very famous quote. Um, if I'm not in my business, whose business am I in? Am I in the business of that someone else? Am I in the business of God? Or am I in my business? Where am I? Better stay in your business. Leave God to their business. So the weather, war, everything. That's God's business. That's not ours. We should not be um, putting ourselves in that situation and say, oh, it's unfair to have war. It's not right to have a hurricane. It's, you know, that's God's business. That's not ours. We stay in ours. Or stay in someone else's business. Say, oh, they shouldn't be doing this. They should. No, no, that's their business. What am I doing? Right. And when you stay within your own business, you're so empowered because there's something you can do about it. If I interfere in God's business, I cannot change the weather. I cannot change uh, war. But I can do small things in my business that would change my outlook on how life is. But also will inspire other people around you. And the more people you impact and the more people you surround yourself with, more people will get inspired. So but the thing is it's not about inspiring people, it's about making your life easier. <laughs> if, well, if we're just selfish enough to better our lives, then we we will be so selfless because we're not judging. That's just, right. that, just that is bliss. Beautiful, beautifully said. And um, this brings me on to one of your uh, mottos is loving yourself is the first step to fall in love with the world. Of course. Um, and and um, is that part of your upbringing as well to an extent? Is, is, is that part of you? It's not my upbringing, no. We were, I mean, I was brought up to... Um, um, to care what other people think and, and, and say. And so I lived my life um, worrying about what other people thought. Yeah. And when I, say, when, when I say I don't want to worry anymore, it doesn't mean I become ruthless and heartless. See, it's not an extreme. It's not if I don't care about what people think, I hurt people. But that's not true. That's, that's a fear-based thinking. I just don't care what people think of me because mm. I'm so having fun in my life and living my own life and living my truth. And uh, when one lives their truth, it doesn't matter what people think. And if it does matter, then really, really unravel your thoughts and, and, and find out why. 
you care what people think about you. Why? If you're not doing anything to harm anyone, why should we care? Yeah. Is that fear of being disliked and judged that a lot of people drive their daily behaviors and it does it take does it take wisdom what what would you advise be to you know um even your daughters for example um how how to say so i have my children as well and i'm thinking how to raise them with this understanding you know from early age not something to come with um wisdom or challenges that they would face and learn from but how to help them get there how that how to help them be not fearful of anyone else's judgment but doing what is right and being proud of it easy number one all my daughters i used to make them look at the mirror and say to them to the reflection that they get of themselves i love you and they used to hate it right. they used to, so i used to make them say i love you and they used to cry and they would go oh, we don't want to do that i said it's fine just do it and i love it grateful because i made them do it you just said if we want the first rule is love yourself enough to accept yourself as you are and then subsequently automatically uh you love people for who they are regardless so um if if i find i i don't love people i start on myself if i find i judge people i start with myself so it's not about people it's all about us because everything's a reflection of our thoughts of our ideology of our um uh memories it's it's a reflection mm. of what we think so if more more if there's a lot of people who are judging me i'm going to work on me judging people i'm not going to work on them i'm not going to change myself so they stop judging me i'm going to work on why i'm judging them and how can i stop the judgment because once i i stop the judgment then if it doesn't automatically stop from their side it doesn't hold anymore mm there was a beautiful thought um i picked up as well in in the way that if 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 there is a judgment being passed on or someone's telling the story that about you but it's nothing to do with you the judgment is never anything about okay. you unless you purposely okay. get involved let me, let me give you an example so if i'm walking down the street and someone i don't know at all says to looks at me and says you stupid cow right my reaction would be to laugh they don't know me they must be mad If I'm walking down the street and someone I know comes to me and looks at me and says stupid cow I get offended right 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 What's the I see okay I see it's my thought it's not the person yeah yeah I thought I didn't believe the other one mm-hmm. and if I get offended by both then I have serious self-worth issues mm-hmm. so how to help not to get offended 
in the second Where situation. If you, see, for me, when someone comes and says something to me and I get a reaction, I work on my, my beliefs, I work on my judgment, I work on my um, inner safety. So I look for times where I'm alarmed or I'm... I'm, I'm, something happens, I like, when I do that, I sit and I literally work on that thought. Mm. Like, why am I thinking that? That doesn't make sense. If I look at it from a logical point of view, why am I having this thought? And then I start, you know, unraveling it or picking it and, and, and dissecting my thought to look at why am I having that thought? Mm. And once I let go of that thought, it's irrelevant. So a hundred people can come uh, down the street and look at me, look at me and say "silly cow," and I'd be smiling because I am not silly and I'm not a cow. And unless I am a cow with others, I should not be offended. Yeah. Unless I have an IQ of one, I should not be offended. So when someone says "silly cow" and I get offended, who's who's with the problems with me, not with them? Mm. Mm. beautiful I love it I love it so wise and um, in one of your um, interviews speaking of all ventures that um, you founded you said um, our vision is to transform self-care from an, from an occasional indulgence into a daily ritual and to empower people across the globe to take charge of their well-being through color and scent. And I'm bringing this in because we spoke a little bit about daily routines and daily breathing and daily self-care that you have. So what what is so it, pardon? I was putting it as we're talking. <laughs> Were you? How beautiful. Please, please share more and, and a little bit more about your daily hobbies and daily routines. My daughter used to organize workshops in Kuwait on different healing modalities. And uh, we used to have between 20 to 60 people come for the workshops. And one day we did a workshop on color therapy. And we had 200 people come. And so we're looking at the number of people who are so engaged and it's and so um, enjoying this. And one of the it was a two day workshop or a, no two 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 workshops on two different days. So it's the same workshop repeated. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, one lady who attended the first day came the second day, and she always used to wear black on black. And then she came the second day wearing black on black with. Uh, a lavender scarf and she said look I'm wearing color and me and my daughter looking at her and thinking oh my god that's the cutest thing on earth she is using color but she chooses to wear black and so that gave us an idea of how to introduce color as a way to to self-empower people and to help them change their lives themselves and so the idea came to use prismology, well, to, to start prismology, which is a beauty brand based on the healing properties of color. So if you choose not to wear color, you can use products that have different layers 
in them from the metal to the mineral to the to the gem to the ingredients efficacy of the ingredients uh, to the texture mm-hmm. that bring on the effect of the color so that's why we started prismology to to allow people to self indulge throughout their day with things that they would do, use anyway everyone uses beauty products right Right. But imagine if you want to use beauty products that bring on the mood-enhancing properties of the color. Let's say uh, the pink hand cream. Okay, pink is the color of nurturing self-love. Um, it's like comfort. So in the pink, we have rose quartz, we have rose, uh, and, and we actually mapped what pink rose smells like because rose can smell... Pink can smell, uh, red can smell, um, fuchsia, mm-hmm. pink. I mean, rose doesn't have to smell that color. But we use a very simple form of synesthesia where people smell colors to be able to come up with what that pink color smells like. And so that particular rose, it was a mix of different things that brought on that smell of pink. So we used... So we start with the gemstone, with the color, with the different ingredients. And so in the pink, we have Arctic Rose that promotes endorphins on the skin on a cellular level. So it makes your skin happy. So imagine if you've got a load of skin, but you put endorphin promoting cream on, you're bound to, you know, to, to feel better. Right. And the with the other colors so um, that was the reason we started the brand to to support people in their daily rituals to make themselves feel better and it's in our hands if you don't want to feel better you'll never do anything but if you want to feel better we're providing tools for you to feel better and they're amazing luxurious self-indulgent tools but they're tools Yeah, to help to facilitate a beautiful philosophy as well. Gorgeous thinking and uh, it's, it's just the, the idea is absolutely fascinating. And um, I will put the links in under the episodes as well for the listeners to um, go to the website and um, you have a wonderful jewelry brand as well. As well and I want the, the listeners to be able to have a look at the beauty that you create, not just in your own personal life, but also giving the tools for people around you. All my businesses, I work on providing tools to make people feel better. So uh, with Prismology, it's body care using color therapy with Intasars and Ibarra. It's jewelry, high-end or uh, affordable jewelry that has words It make you feel better. So with, with my other two brands, we looked at the science behind Dr. Masaru Emoto's um, research, which indicates that uh, words have a positive or a negative effect on our bodies and our, on, our, um, on a more of a, the crystallization of water. Right. So we looked at that research and, you know, affirmations, words, they impact us. So we wanted to use words in jewelry to self-empower us. And that's what we did. So on Intelsars, we use power words that you can put on your skin to um, resonate with uh, you know, your energy and on a cellular level. 
or you can put it where the word is on the outside and it's more like an affirmation and you're looking at it and you're engaging and accepting that word more and more. And so you change to become more of that uh, person that you want to be. And with Ibarra also we're using poetry, we're using uh, verses from the Quran, all about forgiveness, all about love, all about uh, acceptance. So we can look at them and, and engage with the words, engage with the phrases, engage with the poetry to bring on that behavioral change that we're all worthy of. Mm, gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. And uh, it, it just, um, it, it's hard to almost um, not to feel also your passion behind the brand and what you resonate is absolutely beautiful. The, the first one is the top, your top book recommendation that changed your mindset? Oh gosh, there's no one book. There's no one book. But one of the books that I love, I love, I love is Contagious. And it's how things go viral. Okay. And once, once you realize what makes things go viral, you understand how your communications, how your actions, how, how everything you do in life has... Uh, an ability to go further or not go further. So it's almost like aligning your communication with your actions and everything. Um, and I love that. And um, there's, uh, there's Chip and Dan Heath. Their books are amazing. Um, I don't read novels. I haven't read novels in ages because mm -hmm. I've loved, uh, I, I, I love novels. I used to read a lot of no novels, but I want to have more... Um, things that that support me in life. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what's his name? Um, Malcolm Gladwell. I love his books too. Yeah. So, it, yeah. There's no one book. Oh, let's not forget Byron Katie's The Work. Yes. It's yes. Highly recommended for anyone who really wants to change their life. Right. It's transformational as a book. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much. And um, the question that I usually ask about household tasks, and I know you've got, um, for you, it takes an army to, um, you know, for everything in your life that you accomplish to be success as well. Are there any household tasks that you like to do yourself? Maybe as a therapy of some kind, maybe um, tidying something up brings you that joy. What household tasks do you like to, to do yourself? The one thing I've realized about me is I don't do one thing one time. Like as I'm going around, I'm tidying. As I'm going around, if I see something, I pick it up, I clean. If I see a mess, I tidy. I don't say, okay, I'm going to do all, all weekend, I'm going to tidy the weekend. I never do it because it takes so much time and effort, I get drained. So what I've realized is I just tidy as I go around. And let's say with gardening, I love gardening, and I don't sit and I say, okay, I'm going to weed today. No, I weed throughout. Every time I'm in the garden, I see a weed, I pick it up. And that stops it from being a big chore into being something that you do and doesn't take a long time and gets things done as opposed to doing, okay, I'm going to do one hour of weeding, one hour of tidying. I don't do that anymore. I just do things as I'm moving. As you move. Yeah. That, that's actually um, a very good habit and I could benefit from that because I tend to compartmentalize 
Yeah, the thing is, do it as you're going. If you see it, just do it. And, you know, if I see something, I just do it at the time. It takes literally a minute. Yeah. But if I don't do it then, and it's 10 of them, that's 10 minutes. And if I don't do it then, it's 20, that's 20 minutes. And then it's like two hours, and you haven't finished because it's draining. It's not big. I mean, you can do them 20 minutes, but the mind gets in, 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 you know, is the obstacle because it's like, oh, I should have done them. I should. And then, you know, you end up two hours doing something that literally takes 20 minutes. Yeah. I keep, keep thinking the state of my girl's playroom at the moment. <laughs> that should have been done your way. I'll pick that. Or, or leave it to them. I never used to clean up the, the, their playroom. They have to clean it themselves. I've tried that. <laughs> it didn't quite work. It's not important that their playroom is tidy. They're children. They shouldn't have a tidy playroom. <laughs> it's it's beyond the you know the threshold. I think that that room is now um, reminds me of like a big uh, bombshell place. <laughs> the next question is your favorite meal of the day and why? Lunch. I love lunch. Okay, and why? I don't. I'm not a breakfast person. Right. And I'm okay with not having dinner. I just love lunch whenever. And lunch doesn't have to be 12, 1 o'clock. No, no, no. Like, I haven't had lunch yet. And it's 3 o'clock in Kuwait. So my lunch is going to be at when I get home, so around 4.35. But that's still my lunch. So I'm going to enjoy it. Amazing. Amazing. And my, um, it made me... Lunch is a meal that you can eat. And you have so much time to digest. And if I have breakfast, I, I'm not a, I can't wake up and eat. Okay. I like to have only water in the morning. So I only start wanting to eat late in the afternoon. And so that's my meal. And that's what my body asks for. Some people like breakfast. It's, it, you know, everyone has a different thing. And, and, I, and I disagree with people listening to what I've said and, and converting to lunch because they might be dinner people or breakfast people or uh, snack people. So I, if we just yeah. in, get in tune with our bodies and see what makes us happy, for me, lunch, see, and I smile. Yeah, so, yeah. So it makes you smile and go for it. Absolutely. Well, I think it's definitely one of those things that listeners and myself that will pick from this interview is that you do listen to your body, your mind, your feelings, and this is ultimately crucial. Um, so I, I know you um, very um, have, have a very wide network of um, important people. But I wonder if there's a famous house guest that you would have liked to have in your house that you've not had. Um, oh, my God, I'm not even going to say who I want. I'm just going to leave it to the universe to give me something better than what I hope for. <laughs> love it. Love it. And... Yeah. Um, one thing I've realized is I might want something, but what the universe or God has, I mean, for me, universe is God. What, what the universe or God has in place is most of the time, if not all the time, much better than my expectations so, or my demands. So I'm just going to go, I'm, I just say, God, you know, give me the most interesting person you think I should have in my house. And boom, they appear. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. And probably that's how I managed to, to 
secure this interview with you <laughs> by the by the laws of the golden universe your uh, in with your dream house and location is the house that you're building is your dream location in if we look at this let me tell you about the story of my house okay so i'm living in a house uh, currently that is not mine so i'm i'm it's it's to my parents and i'm staying in it and i was going to stay for two years because i had bought a piece of land and so i moved into this house for two years and you know while i build my land and uh, my land wasn't good for what I had in plan, so I, had, I sold it. And for years, I'm looking for um, another plot of land, and I can't find anything. Years, I'm talking more than 10 years. And I can't find what I seem to need. I think 12 years, I'm looking for something, and I can't find it. And then one day, something, something happened that... that forced me to really look for a piece of land. And within 24, and, and okay, I'll go back. And I used to take the dogs every morning, go walk on the beach. So the beach is about 500 meters from where I'm staying. Yeah, 500. I used to go walk on the beach, take the dogs, walk on the beach all the way down and then all the way back. And I used to see two houses that I, one of, and two, both of them, had the staircase leading to the beach, but they had trees. Now the land that I bought and I sold, what I realized was the water table was salty and was very high, so I can't grow anything. So I ended up selling it because I like gardening. So these two houses I used to pass, I like because they have trees next to the beach. And I thought, for them to have trees next to the beach means their water table is very low. This is what I want, a house on the beach with a low water table. And for years I passed, passed. And so when the time came that I literally had to look, seriously look for land to buy, guess what? One of the two houses that I used to look at and my favorite of the two came up for sale. Oh my gosh. Within a week I had bought it. Now, the interesting thing was this house belonged to the same family since 1967. Chances of that happening. Yeah. Wow. So, does that answer your question? Absolutely. The power of your mind, of your thoughts, of your body alignment, everything that you represent. Thank you so much. And the, the messages that you speak to the God, to the universe... I wish that they come back to you the way you want them to manifest. And I hope a lot of people to, to learn and get inspired, although you do say it's all start with yourself. But I want, you know, for you to be that inspiration as well, because you absolutely are. And thank you so much for your time. It was my absolute honor having this conversation with you. Enjoy the it's rest of your day. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And it's been really a privilege to speak to you thank you so much and uh, i just hope if i could convince one person listening to this um, podcast to just be in tune with their feelings to feel safety and when they don't look at why they're not feeling safe and to learn more about byron katie's work about how to unravel our thoughts to better our lives 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors as well as LinkedIn. Bye now till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.